Amen. He's worthy of all the praise, all the honor, all the power, and all the glory. Amen. And he's in this place tonight. Amen. I'm just so thankful we serve a God that doesn't ask us to come together and then leave us all alone. Amen. But he gathers right here with us. How many of you believe God has a word for us? Amen. Go ahead and put up the first slide. We're continuing this evening uh, on our series of the seven ups of Christianity. And actually, we're going to finish up this evening on that. Unless the Holy Spirit, for some reason, has me go past uh, the seven. But I believe my spirit will finish up this evening. But before we do, as always, go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to anoint me and to anoint you as well. Amen. Father God, we just thank you that you are in this house this evening. We thank you, like I said, God, that you don't gather us together for us to gather in vain, but that you gather us together to speak to us and visit with us, to encourage us, to challenge us, Father God, to speak your truth into our lives and to bless us. We pray that you would be blessed this evening with the the worship that we have offered up, that we have been a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And I pray this evening, God, that you would anoint me as your servant to bring forth your word. To bring it forth with anointing and clarity, with truth, with revelation, that you would move me out of the way, Father God, so that you could be seen and so that you could be heard. I pray, God, that you would come against all the things that have distracted us during the day and throughout the week, that you would come against any hindering spirit, any distracting spirit, Father God, and for a moment in time, we would be able to forget about ourselves and concentrate on you, so that your word, Father God, would find a place within the soil of our soul. That we might bear fruit, God, and as I always pray, fruit that will last. Be glorified in our midst this evening. We give you the praise and the glory. And all God's people said once again, Amen. Like I said, we're completing our series this evening on the seven ups of Christianity. I felt like last week's word on listening up might have been a little hard and might have been a little harsh, but it's one of the areas that I believe that the church has to improve on the most, and I believe that is listening to God. I believe personally, out of all the things that I talked about, one of the areas that I think we struggle the most as a church and as God's people is listening to God. It's yielding to his advice. It's following his admonition. It's obeying the words that are spoken into our lives. And that's what the definition, that was what the biblical Hebrew and Greek definition of listening meant. And I believe that's a struggle that we have. It's why the church is lost or losing its effectiveness in this world, and it's why we must start listening up. I believe the church, you know I like to recap, but I believe the church today is like those that are spoken about in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 30 to 33, when God said, my people stand around at the street corners, and they talk about going to the, I'm using my words, but he said, they say to themselves, they stand on the street corner, and they say, let us go to the house of God, let us go to church, and the Bible says that they come as my people come, and they sit before me as my people and they hear the words which are spoken unto them but there's a problem and that problem is they just don't do what they hear and I believe that's a reflection of us today church and it's why we were called to listen up because we come as his people come we talk about coming to church and we come to church week after week and we hear message after message and hear sermon after sermon and we sit in the same we have this ritual of coming but the biggest problem with the church today starting with me is we don't do what we hear we practice coming to church but we don't practice what's being preached and that's why the Holy Spirit calls calls us to listen up so that we can become doers of his word and not just hearers only who deceive themselves. You see, the reality is we're deceiving ourselves to think it's enough just to come to church and hear what the pastor has to say. We, we're deceiving ourselves when we think it's enough to, we think it's enough to come and sing a few songs and clap our hands and drop some money into a plate, but ignore what the pastor has to say or ignore what the word of God has to say. Remember, the pastor is just an oracle for God. He's bringing forth the word of God. And we deceive ourselves to think that it's enough to just come and not listen, come and not do, come and not yield. 
and, and give ourselves to the word of God. So this is what we need to do. We must learn, church, to listen up because obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. You see, the, the Holy Spirit wants to remind you and remind me that obedience is better than sacrifice, that you yielding to what the, the word of God says is more important to him than any sacrifice you might have made to come to his house tonight. And the reality is some of us have to make sacrifices to come to the house of God on Sunday. There's a sacrifice some of us have to make to come on Wednesday night. Some of us might sacrifice overtime. Some of us might sacrifice ha- uh, getting this done or getting that done. And there is a sacrifice that is made and should be made to come into the house of God, into the presence of God. But above all of it, God said there's something that's more important than that sacrifice. And it's obedience. It's you listening up and doing what I have to say to you. So that's what I want us to remember as we move on. We must learn to listen up. And finally, after doing all of the other things that we've looked at over the last six weeks... After waking up and shaking off the slumber that seems to have wrapped itself around the people of God and the church of God. After shaping up our soul and getting ourselves into good spiritual condition. After learning all about the spiritual disciplines and making them part of our life. After cleaning up church and getting off the this, this sin of the world and putting off the sin of the world. After cleaning ourselves up so that we can be without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. After dressing up and putting on the character of Christ and putting on the garments of glory like we've talked about, church. And then finally, after listening up, after doing everything we can to be ready for the groom, ready for the coming of Jesus Christ, then we are to look up, church. And when I talk about looking up all this evening, I want you to understand that I'm not talking about finding a spot where you just look up to heaven and waiting on Jesus to come, waiting to see some movement in the skies. What I want you to understand when I talk about looking up, it's about setting our gaze towards God and setting our hearts toward heaven. This is what the word means when God calls us to look up. It's an attitude of the heart. It is a spiritual condition that must be developed in our lives because there's a lot of people that can be standing around looking up and they'll still miss the coming of the Lord because their heart has not been set in the right direction. So when I talk about looking up, that's exactly what I mean. There's several reasons why the Holy Spirit calls us to look up. I seriously doubt I'm going to get to uh, the majority of them. I'll let you study scripture and find some on your own. But the very first reason that we are to look up The very first reason that we're to set our gaze toward God, the very first reason that we are to set our hearts towards heaven is because Christ is coming soon. Because the night is far spent, the Bible says, and the day of the Lord is at hand. Because Jesus said... The coming of the Lord is sooner, is nearer today than when you first believed. How many of you have been uh, saved or gave your heart to the Lord for five years or more? Put up your hand. Okay, so I'm telling you that we are that much closer to the coming of the Lord than when you first believed, okay? And that's one of the reasons why we have to look up, because our redemption and our salvation draws near, the Bible says. We need to look up because 1 Corinthians 15.52 tells tells us that in a moment, church, it tells us in a flash, it tells us that in the twinkling of an eye, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Not, not any of his soldiers, not any of the people under him. It tells us that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And at that moment, the dead in Christ shall arise, the Bible says, and after that, we who are still alive and remain, those who are still alive, listen, and in Christ and remain, they will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. That's the number one reason we have to look up. That's the number one reason our heart has to be set toward God because in a moment we could be called home. In a moment God could come down for the bride of Christ to take the the church and present it to Jesus Christ. 
We need to look up, church, because the rapture could take place at any moment. The rapture could take place while I'm preaching tonight. I don't say that to scare anybody. I'm telling you that that's just the fact of Scripture. It seems like every single prophecy has been fulfilled. It seems like every single sign that you could look for that the Bible talks about has been taken place. You can watch it as, as, as simply as turning on the television set. The, the coming of the Lord is near and we must look up. And the only ones who will see it. The only ones who will see the coming of the Lord, church, are those who are ready. Those who have had their hearts set towards God. Listen, when the rapture takes place, I want you to clearly understand, it's not like the second coming where all the earth will see it. When the rapture takes place, the only ones that will see it, the only ones that will hear it, the only ones that will be snatched up are those that are looking up. Those who have had their heart set towards God. Those who have wakened up. Those who have shaped up. Those that have cleaned up. Those that have dressed up. Those that have listened up. Those that are looking up. Those who are ready for the coming of the Lord. Everyone else will miss it. Everything, everyone else will wonder what has just taken place, church. Rapture, the rapture is reserved for the righteous. And it's one of the reasons why we must do all of these things that I've talked about over the last several weeks. And it's why we must look up because we have one chance, church, to be a part of the rapture. We have one chance to be a part of this uh, coming of the Lord to, to take away the bride. One chance. There will be no encore presentation of the rapture. I know there's a lot of different teachings out there, but as far as, as far as we believe, as far as I believe, the, the Word of God says there will be one chance for the church to be ready for the rapture. One chance to get on board. I know there's, there's that, there's that old, uh, uh, I think it's in the, the hymnal, but it talks about the good old gospel ship. I'm about to take a trip on the good old gospel ship. It's talking about the rapture. And I want you to understand that ship's only coming one time. And those that are looking up are the ones that will be able to get on board. Those are the ones that will have the chance to be ready to meet the groom. The reality is the rapture or the snatching away, as the word of God calls it. The the Greek word is harpazo, and it means to snatch up or it means to catch up. It's a one-time event. I told you there's not going to be an encore presentation, no repeat, no reruns of this event. And it's the only chance that the church will have to avoid the tribulation, the coming judgment of the Lord. I'm not going to get into the theology of the rapture tonight. I'm not going to get into the theology of the second coming of Jesus Christ, maybe sometime down the road. But I will tell you that when Christ returns for the second time, You all know the first time he came, he came in the form of a little child, okay? And the second time he comes, he's going to come as a reigning king. He's going to come as the prince of peace. That's the way that he's going to come. But when he comes the second time, when he rides in on the clouds, when he rides in on a white, great white horse, he will be returning with the church and not for the church. He will be returning with the bride and he will not be returning for the bride. Because on the rapture, here's what I want you to understand. When the rapture takes place, God himself will come down and snatch up the bride because God is the one that is going to give the bride to Jesus Christ. God is the one that comes the first time. Jesus is the one that's going to come on the second coming. And this is what we need to understand. The bride will have already been taken up in the rapture because the father would have already snatched it away. To present it to Jesus Christ as that bride that is pure and spotless without any other blemish. How many of you want to be that bride? How many of you want to be snatched up? How many of you want to be on board when that ship comes rolling in and the clouds roll back? I do. And in order for that to happen, church, we have to look up. We have to have our heart set towards God. The Bible makes it clear. I know you know all this, but I'm going to preach it anyway. The Bible makes it clear that on that day, on that day when the people of God are snatched up, when they are caught up in the air when the rapture takes place according to luke chapter 17 34 it says two will be in the same bed sleeping one will be taken and the other will be left 
There's other scriptures that talk about the same thing. It says two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. It talks about two men being out in the field plowing. One will be taken and one will be left. If you modernize it, it's saying two guys will be out fishing. One will be taken and one will be left. Two two ladies will be sitting in the hairdresser. One will be taken, one will be left. Two guys will be having lunch. One will be taken and one will be left. Two will be sitting at a board meeting. One will be taken and one will be left. And I can go on and on and on and give you examples of what it would be like today. But what I'm saying is that will happen because one will have had their heart set toward God and one will have not. One will have been focused on the Father and the other will have been focused on himself. And the only way, listen, when you focus on me, myself, and I, guess who's left out? God. When you're focused on you and what I want and what I feel I need, guess who's left out? God. When you're focused on your will, God's will can't be done. And the only way that God's will will be done in your life or my life is when we look up, when we have a heart that is set towards the Father. You see, when your heart and my heart is set towards the Father, it'll do whatever the Father asks. It'll go where the Father asks you to go. It'll say what the Father asks you to say. It will do what the Father asks you to do, no matter how foolish it might seem. Jesus did exactly what the Father said, went exactly where the Father told him to go. You know the whole thing. Why? Because his heart was fully set towards the Father. When you and I grumble and complain, when we disobey, when we don't listen to the Word of God, you know what that's saying to God? My heart is somewhere else. It means my heart is set towards myself and it's not set towards God. It's real easy. If it was math, it'd be one plus one. This is the reality. It's easy to know. It's easy for God to understand whose heart is set towards me and whose isn't. If you love me, you keep my commands. It's really simple. You do what I tell you to do. We must look up, church. This is, this is the word that the Lord has for us tonight. If we don't want to be left behind... We must have a heart that is set for the Father if we want to be part of the rapture. One will be looking up, and the other won't be ready. The truth is, the only ones that will be caught up, like I said, are those that are looking up. Those that are looking to heaven with a heart that is fully set toward God. And again, I'm not talking about a, a physical gaze into the clouds. I'm not talking about finding a spot on the street corner and sitting there like the Thessalonians did, looking up, just waiting for God to return, not doing any kingdom work. You see, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about looking up, I'm talking about setting your heart towards God while you're watching and waiting and working for God. There's a big difference. You see, there's a whole lot of people that can be sitting around just gazing up. To the, sometimes I think about the monks, okay? The monks that are up on top of some mountain somewhere. And I'm not mocking them and I'm not saying. What I'm saying is uh, God is, is looking for doers of the word. He's looking for some individuals that are not just looking up, not just watching, but they're working while they're watching. They're working while they're waiting. They're doing something to advance the kingdom of God on earth. To make this world to, to, to be a better reflection of the kingdom. That's our responsibility. As sons and daughters of the Most High God, we are to try to, to create a similar atmosphere as to the kingdom of God here on earth. And if we're not, if all we're doing is watching and not working, kingdom work's not going to get done. So when I'm talking, I'm not talking about finding a spot on a street corner just gazing up into the heavens like I said. I'm talking about those that are serving the king while they're watching and waiting for the king. Those that are preparing for the groom while they're watching and waiting for the groom. This is what we should be doing. We should be working for the groom. We should be waiting and, and serving and doing all the things that we need to do in order to be ready for the coming of the Lord or for the, the rapture. Like I said, when I talk about looking up, I'm talking about a soul that faces God. It's the easiest way that I can say, and I'm talking about a soul that is facing in the right direction, church, with a heart that is set towards Christ. In the Old Testament, you'll find out that the temple and the tabernacle were always to face east. And there's a lot of prophetical reasons why, again, I'm not going to get into all the theology of it. There's a whole lot of different meanings why the temple and the tabernacle were to face east. Some of those reasons were the fact that Jerusalem was in the east, the Mount of Olives was in the east. That's where Jesus went up in the clouds, and it's where Jesus will touch down once again when he comes at the second coming. I'm talking about the sun rising in the east, and the Bible says the lightning flashes from the east as far as to the west. And just like that, that will be the way the coming of the Lord will be. But most important. Importantly, 
the temple of the Lord and the, and the tabernacle of the Lord were to face east because that is where the Lord would return from. The Lord was going to come from the east. And also, we, it, because in Ezekiel 43, 4, it says, And the glory of the Lord came into the temple through the east gateway. I want you to understand that the glory of the Lord came from a certain direction, and it would only enter in from a certain direction. And if the, if the temple wasn't faced in that direction, if the tabernacle wasn't faced in that direction, the glory of the Lord would not enter in and could not enter in. And I'm trying to paint a picture here because I'm going somewhere with it. So my, the point that I'm making is if, if so much detail was given to how the temple of the Lord was to face, if so much uh, direction and emphasis was given to how the, or what direction the temple must be pointed, if the glory of the Lord only entered through the eastern gate, then how much more should we, as the temple of God, make sure that we too are faced in the right direction? How much more should we who are today the temple and the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. How much more should we be facing to the east? How much more should we be facing the Father? How much more should we be faced towards heaven? How much more should we have a heart that is set towards God? So much more. Should it, shouldn't it matter what direction we focus our heart? Shouldn't it matter what direction we focus our attention? Shouldn't it matter, church, what direction we point our prayers and point our praise Shouldn't it matter what direction we focus our funds and our faithfulness? And, and shouldn't it matter what direction we, we direct our time and direct our talents, church? Shouldn't it matter? Yes, absolutely it should. Because we are the temple of the Lord and we must be facing God. We must have a soul that is facing in the right direction, church. The reality is if we want the glory of the Lord in our lives, and I'm the definition, I, I'm going to read them out. It might be a lot for you to write down, and I don't know if I put it up on the slide, but the Hebrew and the Greek definition for the word glory is this. Abundance, wealth, treasure, honor, splendor, brightness, majesty, and the bliss of heaven. So when the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord, it's talking about the abundance, wealth, treasure, honor, splendor, brightness, majesty of the Lord, and it's talking about the bliss of heaven. So the reality is, if you and I want the glory of the Lord in our lives, if we want His abundance in our life, if we want His wealth in our life, and I'm not just talking money, if we want His treasure in our life, if we want His honor and His favor and His splendor and His brightness and His majesty, if we want the the bliss of heaven in our lives, we better be faced in the right direction. We better have a heart that is set towards God. We better have a soul that is pointed in the proper direction church if we want the king of glory to come into our life if we want the lord who is strong and mighty to take residence in our soul then we must have a heart that is set in the right direction it must be set toward heaven it must be facing the father and again i'm not talking about a physical position talking about a spiritual one reality is listen unfortunately when god calls the church to look up it means the church isn't looking up. When God calls his people to look up, it means his people aren't looking up. When God calls a nation to look up, it means the nation isn't looking up. It means that we as a people, we as a church, we as a nation are faced in the wrong direction. And I'm telling you, America is faced in the wrong direction. I'm telling you that America is not faced towards the Father like it once was. And I don't believe the church is faced towards the Father like it once was. And I want you to know it's why the glory of the Lord's not coming in. Because we're faced in the wrong direction. There's some individuals that come into the house of God on a regular basis and they wonder why the glory of the Lord's not in their life. They wonder why the abundance of God hasn't made its way into their soul. They wonder why they're lacking in so many areas and the number one reason is they're faced in the wrong direction the number one reason is they don't have a heart that is set towards God I want you to understand look God wants to pour out his glory God wants to pour out his provision God wants to pour out his goodness God wants to pour out his abundance and his provisions and his power into your life but there's some of us all we got to do is turn around and face God for that to happen all we got to do is face the Father, and the floodgates of heaven will be pouring in. 
It's just like that spigot. You know, those quarter dial spigots. If that spigot isn't turned in the right direction, you're going to get zero flow. None. You've got to turn that spigot in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, all the pressure, all the power, everything that's on the other side of that spigot begins to flow. We grumble against God. We fuss at God. We get depressed. We get filled with fear. We get filled with all of these things because all of the, the bliss of heaven isn't being manif- manufactured in our life. It's not being manufactured in our life. And all along, all we have to do is turn and face ourselves towards God. And when we do, the abundance of God's goodness will flow into our lives. The reality is, if we want the glory of God in our lives, we've got to be facing towards heaven. The sad reality is, I believe the church has its eye on the wrong prize. I believe the church has gotten to the place where it's got its eye on a prize that is passing away, on a prize that is perishing, the Bible says. And I believe their hearts have been set towards themselves and not towards God. I believe this world has thrown up so many distractions and so many false affections and so many idols and so many gods that it has distracted the affection of God's people and they're no longer facing in the right direction. You see, all you got to do is go back. You talk to your granddaddy, talk to somebody who's been around in the church for a long time and find out the way the church used to be facing. And every generation that goes on, we facing a little farther away from God. We look at the world and we think, okay, well, I'm better than the world. But then the next generation comes and they turn a little bit more. God's still over here, but the church has moved its way away from God. Well, I'm still not just like the world, but listen, you're nothing like God either. Because we have turned our heart away from the Father, and because we have, the church is lacking power. Because we have, we're not seeing signs and wonders and miracles and all these other things, because our heart's set in the wrong direction. And God is saying to the church today, He's saying to His people, it's time to refocus on the Father. It's time to return to your first love. It's time to do the things you did at first, the Bible says. And when you do, the glory of God will come in. God's just waiting on us. He's just waiting on us to turn our heart in the right direction, church. Sad reality is we're focused on ourselves. And to move on, I want to show you something here, and I hope that you can gain some understanding from what I have. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 to 10, it says, The devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain. And he showed them all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And I want you to catch this. The devil showed Jesus the glory of the kingdoms of the world. Okay. And he said, all of this I will give to you if you will just bow down and worship me. All of this I will give to you if you will just alter your affection. All of this I will give to you, Jesus, if you just lower your spiritual eyesight. This is exactly what he was saying, and it's exactly what he does to us every single day. The devil, every single day, will try to get you to lower your spiritual eyesight. Every single day, I want you to understand that he will try to get your eyes and your heart off of God and onto the things of the world. He tries to distract us from the glory of the Father with the glory of the world. It's exactly what he did with Jesus. He wanted Jesus to be distracted from the glory of the Father with the glory of the world. All of this, all the glories of this world, I'll give to you if you will just alter your affections, Jesus. And, and Satan does the same exact thing with us. He tries to move the gate to our city to keep us from facing God. Because listen, if anyone knows what power will be loosed in our life when we're facing God, it's the devil. The devil knows, listen to me, when you're facing God, there is nothing that can get in your way. When you're facing God, the devil knows that there's nothing that he can throw your way that will keep the power of God from flowing into your life. The devil knows better than anyone. As long as you and I are facing God, it doesn't matter what comes our way. God's blessings will continue to flow. The bliss of heaven will still be made available to our life. So the devil comes and he throws a distraction here and he throws a distraction there. He throws a temptation here and a a temptation there. He throws a heartache here and and a hurdle there. All in an effort to get your eyes off of God. Listen, what happened to Peter when he was walking on the water? He was walking on a miracle. 
He was experiencing the supernatural power of God in his life. And as long as he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, guess what happened? The supernatural power of God flowed through his life. And as soon as he stopped looking at his father... As soon as he turned his attention from Jesus, he was overtaken by all of the wind and all of the waves. Listen, when you're in the middle of a trial, when you're in the middle of hell, the last thing you can afford to do is get your eyes off God. The last thing you can afford to do is get your eyes off the Father. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if hell or high water is coming your way. It doesn't matter what mountain's before you, what Goliath is standing in front of you. As long as your eyes are fixed on God, the author and the finisher of your faith, the bliss of heaven and the majesty and the glory of God will flow through your life. It's when we turn our hearts from God that we faint. When we turn our hearts from God, that that power stops flowing in our life. Anything that comes our way, any temptation that comes our way, as long as we are fixed on the Father, we'll make it through. We'll come out on the other side. And Satan will have been defeated. Listen, when we look at pornography, we're facing the wrong direction. And the glory of God will not, cannot, come into your life. When we watch half of the garbage that's on TV, when we watch half of the garbage that Hollywood puts our way, when we pick up those junk magazines that are at the checkout counter with half-naked women and all kinds of sexual advice at the checkout counter, when we, when we are involved in those things, we're facing in the wrong direction and the glory of God and the majesty of God and the bliss of heaven, all of those things cannot will not come into our lives. Listen to me. When your marriage is faced in the wrong direction, when your marriage is not facing the Father, when that relationship that you have is not focused on the King, the glory of the Lord can't come in. That relationship will be filled with heartache, filled with hurdles, filled with struggles, filled with lack, filled with arguing, filled with complaining, filled with bickering, filled with bitterness, filled with all the junk of this world. But when that marriage, somewhere along the way, when that marriage can shift and refocus itself on God and put God at the center of their soul, put God at the center of their marriage, put God at the center of their relationship, you watch the miracles that'll take place. You hear about all these relationships that are messed up, and it's because one or both aren't focused on God. And the first thing that has to happen is those individuals need to get refocused on God, and when they do, it allows the, the glory of God and the bliss of heaven to come into their lives. Listen, when we're unequally yoked to an unbeliever, I want you to know we're facing in the wrong direction. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about business. I'm talking about certain friendships. I'm not saying that you can't befriend the world and try to minister to the world. But when you, when you are unequally yoked, you're facing in the wrong direction. And God will not allow His glory into that relationship. And six months later, six months down the road, even after you've done all this, Oh, oh God, I'm going to get them saved. And God, I'm going to do this. And God, I'm going to be a, a Savior of their soul. No. God's glory will have nothing to do with that relationship. It will not come in because someone has got their heart turned in the wrong direction. And they've placed their will above God's. When, we give, when we're given to the lust of the flesh, when we're given to the pride of life, when we're given to the lust of the eyes, we're faced in the wrong direction. And the abundance and the wealth and the treasure and the splendor and the majesty and the bliss of heaven cannot come in. And it's why the Holy Spirit and God is calling the church to do what they're supposed to do. And that is to do what the Word is teaching us this evening. Similarly, church... When you direct your funds away from God, when you fail to direct the funds and the finances that you have been given in your life uh, towards God, and one of the ways that we do it, the one of the ways we direct our funds towards God is what? Through giving and through tithing. And the reality is when we fail, and I know a lot of us don't like to hear this, but when we fail to direct our funds and our tithes to God, guess what? His glory can't come in. His blessings, His treasures, His wealth, His abundance, 
All the things that he has available for us cannot come in because our funds are facing the wrong direction. If you need a financial miracle in your life, one of the first things you need to ask yourself, have I been faithful with my funds? Have I directed them towards the Father? Now listen, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not about to say, I know a lot of people that tithe as faithfully as anyone can tithe, and there's still a financial struggle in their life. That's a, that's a different battle they might have to be facing. But we need to ask ourselves, church, we need to ask ourselves this one particular question with our finances. If we want the glory of the Lord and all of those things that I mentioned to come into our finances, we must direct them towards God. That's why it's time for the people of God. It's why it's time for the church. It's why it's time for the nation. I believe America church to uh, look in the right direction. It's time for us to look up. I said it earlier and I say it again. I don't believe America is looking east anymore. I don't believe that America is looking towards the Father. We have a president who even said we're no longer a Christian nation. And that should, that, that, that should cause our hearts to grieve. And a lot of people didn't agree with him. But the reality is we're not a Christian nation anymore. There's a remnant, yes, in America. There's a church still active in America. But as a nation, we're not what we used to be. We have wandered far from our founding father's principles, and it's time for us to look up. It's time for us to redirect our focus and our attention towards the father. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 4 and look at what the devil did. In Matthew chapter 4, he takes Jesus to a higher, and I'll explain this. I don't want to get too teachy. I don't want to lose you. But he, the devil takes Jesus to a higher place than he was, and he showed Jesus more than he had. And I want you to understand that Jesus stepped off of his throne. Jesus forsook his kingdom in heaven. Jesus took off his robe. He took off his crown. He laid down his royal scepter. He walked away from his throne. And the Bible says he became nothing on our behalf. So here's Jesus in the wilderness. He's got no food. He's got clothes on his back. But he came as a servant and he had nothing. And scripture says that when some people wanted to follow him, he talked to those that said, that said, oh, I'll follow you, Jesus. What did he say? He said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the airs have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Please understand this. Jesus came as a servant and he had nothing when Satan was tempting him. Had nothing. So this is exactly what Jesus did. This is exactly what Satan did. He took Jesus to a higher place than he was and he offered him more than he had. And he does the same exact thing with us. He takes us to a higher place than we are, and he shows us what we don't have. It's what he did with Jesus. Listen, he takes the lonesome girl who doesn't fit in. And what does he do? He shows her popularity. He shows her acceptance. He shows her empty affection. And he says, young girl, all of this can be yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. If you'll just alter your affections. If you'll sleep with me. If you'll give yourself to me, you can have all of this. It's what the devil does. He takes us to a higher place than we are, and he shows us what we don't have. He, he takes the young man, and he shows him fast cars, and shows him fast women, and he shows him fast living. He shows him all the things that he doesn't have and says, if you want to be somebody by having all of these things, all you've got to do is alter your affections. All you've got to do is lower your spiritual eyesight. All you've got to do is bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of this down here. And I'm getting somewhere. I want you to understand that he takes the businessman up to the penthouse suite and he shows him the corner office. He shows him the hot secretary. He shows him the BMW. He shows him the expense account. And he says, sir, all of this can be yours if you'll just alter your affections. All of this can be yours if you'll just lower your spiritual eyesight. If you'll compromise here and wheel and deal here and do this and do that. If, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. He takes the lonely house housewife. He shows her all the things that she doesn't have. She's got a busted relationship or a busted marriage. She's unsatisfied. And what does the devil do? He shows her everything she doesn't have and says, you can have this if you'll bow down and worship me. If you'll alter your affections, if you'll take your eyes away from the father. And it's exactly what he does with us every single day. All of this can be yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. Here's what the devil does. I'll give you this kingdom, hoping you'll forget about this kingdom. I'll give you all of this glory, if you, hoping you'll forget about this glory. He says, I'll, I'll put you in charge of all of this, if you forget 
all about what you're in charge of up there. And he does it to us every single day, church. But Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And what I want you to understand is that Jesus overcame because he kept looking up. I want you to understand that Jesus overcame because he kept his eyes on the Father. And as long as he kept his eyes on the Father, the glory of the Lord kept coming into his life. His entire life, the glory of the Lord shone down on Jesus. Why do you think on the Mount of Transfiguration, two times when he was baptized and once on the Mountain of Transfiguration, God spoke and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's what we talked about last week, about listening up, listening to him. See, I want you to understand that Jesus always kept his eye on the Father no matter what came his way. He was tempted in all ways, just like we are, the Bible says. He went through everything we went through, and in the midst of it all, while he was being beaten, while he was being bruised, while he was being mocked, while he was being whipped, while he was being nailed to a cross, all of that, he kept his eyes on the Father. Why? So that when we went through the same junk as him, we could keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who for the hope set before him endured the cross, so that when we go through it, we won't give up. Listen, the word of God tells us in Hebrew 12 that we can overcome the same exact way by keeping our eyes fixed on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. How many of you know that what God starts, God completes? He's faithful to complete that which he started. God started a work in every single one of our lives, and it's his goal to complete it. And we help him complete it by keeping our eyes fixed on him, by looking up, by keeping our heart set towards the Father. Listen, anything that takes your eyes off the Lord isn't put there by God. Anything that lowers your spiritual eyesight isn't put there by God. Anything that moves the gate to your soul isn't put there by God. Please understand, when Satan showed Jesus the kingdoms of the earth, he took him up and had him look down. There is a principle to this. He, he took him up and had him look down. And what he looked at had boundaries. And I'm going to bring this out. I want you to understand that Satan showed Jesus a supernatural vision of a purely natural kingdom. There was nothing supernatural about what Jesus saw, but about how he saw it. And it's exactly what the devil will do. And there's nothing supernatural about what the devil offers you. It's plain old ordinary junk. But he presents it in such a way. The way he shows it to you, the way he reveals it to you, it's supernatural. The way he reveals it to you, but it, it's ordinary junk. That he's presenting to you. And he thought he could trick Jesus with it. And he tricks us with it every day. This is the way the devil works. But it was a supernatural vision of a purely natural kingdom. And how many of you know the kingdoms of this world have boundaries? The kingdoms of this world have limits, church. Every kingdom on this globe, every kingdom on this, this thing that we call earth is limited in power. It's limited in pleasure. It's limited in wealth. It's limited in its provisions. It's limited in its majesty. We've learned that the United States is limited with its wealth. Amen. Well, I think we've used to live like, oh, America's got all the money in the world and more. Sometimes we live the same exact way, but we've discovered that the kingdoms of this earth, church, only stretch so far. And what Jesus looked at and what Satan had presented to Jesus only went so far. But here's the difference. But when God spoke a promise to Abram, when God spoke a promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, he spoke to Abram exactly where he was. How many of you are grateful that God just speaks to us right wherever we are? He doesn't have to move us around and manipulate us or bring us up onto high, some high mountain for us, to, for us to believe that it's God speaking. Listen, he spoke to Moses out in a field. He spoke to Gideon when he was hiding in a little cave pressing, pressing the, the grapes. He speaks again here to Abram in the middle of nowhere. And what does he say to him? He tells him to look up. He doesn't show, he doesn't tell him to look down. He tells him to look up. He said, look towards the heavens, Abram, because my plan for your life is limitless. Because my plan for your, your life has no boundaries. Because my blessings have no boundaries. Get this, my, my power has no boundaries. My abundance, my wealth, my provisions, my treasure, my majesty. 
Everything about me has no boundaries. And it's why we need to look up, church. The devil wants us to look down because he knows that what God has for us is limitless. He knows that God's power is limitless. He knows there's nothing like it. Nothing Satan has can compare to what God has. So he just tries to distract you away. He tries to turn you away from God. He says, God says to Abram, look up and count the stars if you can, because this is how greatly I will bless you. And I want you to understand, church, that when we face God, when we have a heart set towards God, when we turn our face towards the Father, His blessings are limitless. The things that he can do for us, the things he will do with us, the things that he'll do with our family, the things he'll do with our finances and our marriage and our friends and our sons and our daughters, the things that he will do in our life are limitless when we look up and focus on the Father. But the saddest thing is we, come, we become so distracted by these things that are limited in their pleasure, limited in their satisfaction, limited in, in what they are able to do for our life. But he wants us to look up. Listen, I'm going to start bringing this to a close. Jesus Christ always calls us to look upward. Jesus is always directing our thoughts towards the Father, our words towards the Father, and our ways towards the Father. Christ always leads us upward so that the glory of the Lord might come into our life. When, G- when the Word speaks to us and tells us to do something... There's one reason why. It's so that the glory of the Lord can come into our life. God wants to bless you. God wants you to have an abundance in every area of your life. God wants His power. God wants you to experience the bliss of heaven in your life. So when He speaks to us, it's so that our heart might be turned to right, so that all of those blessings can come into our life. Satan speaks the other way. He tries you to look downward. He wants you to walk under guilt and walk under shame and walk under condemnation. That's another reason that we're to look up, because He's our Savior, because He's our Redeemer, because He's the forgiver of our sins. Because he's our propitiation. That's another reason we should look up. There's too many people in the house of God that walk around like this. Oh, woe is me. They do this all the time. Listen, when you got your eyes fixed on the Father, you got no time to grumble, no reason to complain. We've got to fix our eyes on the Father. Bring this to a close. You go ahead and put on the music. David said, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayers unto you and will look up. You see, David refused to start a single day without setting his soul toward God. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto you and will look up. You know what? The sad thing about so many of us, and I've been there myself, is we complain to God at the end of the day simply because we failed to set our heart towards Him at the beginning of the day. And David said, I'm not going to start a single day, Lord, without directing my prayers up to you and without looking up to you, without setting my heart in your direction. He said, I will set my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help, because my help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. That's who wants to bless us. That's whose blessings are limitless. That's whose treasures. That's whose abundance. That's whose wealth can be poured into our life, but it's only going to happen if we look up, church. We need to look up because it's where our help comes from. We need to look up because we have a Father which is in heaven, a Father that's not bound by earthly forces, a Father who's not limited by His earthly abilities, a Father who rules the world and rules the universe and His dwelling place, the Bible says, is in the heavens. The reason we need to look up, church, is because time and distance may keep our earthly fathers from helping us, from hearing us, from rescuing us. Some of us don't even have any earthly fathers that we can call on, any earthly fathers that we can turn to. There will always be a time in our life where our earthly father cannot rescue us from the schemes of the devil and the things that are coming our way. But the Word of God encourages us to look up because we have a Father which is in heaven. And He's able to meet every need that we have according to His riches and glory. You see, when those times come, when trouble presses in, when the enemies camp round about us, when we find ourselves in the middle of the storm, in the middle of heartache, in the middle of lack, in the middle of loss, it's exactly when we must look up. It's exactly when we must set our hearts towards heaven, church, because it's in those times that our help isn't going to come from man, 
But our help is going to come from God. Finally, closing thought. The, 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 the word calls us to look up when we have forgotten where our home is. And I believe beyond all the things that I've talked to you about, the church has forgotten where its home is. I think the church, like the children of Israel on so many occasions, had become comfortable where they are and they forgot all about the promised land. There was an occasion where God said to the the children of Israel, you've been here long enough. You've settled on this side of the Jordan long enough. And I think this is exactly where we are. This, we today are on this side of the Jordan church. The Jordan is our promised land. I mean, the promised land is, is heaven for us. And right now, this life that we're living, we're on this side of the Jordan. We're on this side of that twinkling of the eye. We're on this side uh, of the, the trumpet blast of God. And I believe that because God in His grace has tarried, we've grown comfortable exactly where we are. We've grown comfortable on this side of the Jordan, short of the fullness of God and the blessings of God and the bliss of heaven. And and we've become satisfied. And in the midst of it, we have forgotten that there's a promised land. In the midst of it, we've forgotten that there's a home in heaven that Jesus has gone to prepare so that where he is, we might be also. You see, what God is calling us to, church, is for us to become homesick. I wonder how many of us are homesick. I ask myself, how many times have I cried out, God, I I just want to go home. God, I don't belong here. God, I know I'm just passing through. I know this this is just a temporary place. And part of my prayer is, God, create a longing in my heart to go home. Create a longing in my heart to be with my Father that is in heaven, that I might be in that, that promised land that you have for me. But there's been so many distractions, and our affections have been so altered that, that I think the church has lost its affection for the Father and, and lost its desire to go home. So all I'm closing with this evening is how many of you are here tonight and, and you're willing to say, God, I think, my, I think the gate to my city, I think, has moved. I think, I think I've, for some reason, my heart isn't set in the right direction. God, I, and listen... It might just be a little bit. It might be a lot. But tonight, God is just asking, how many of you are ready to make your, set your heart aright? How many of you tonight are, are ready to refocus on the Father? How many of you tonight are ready to set your eyes to the kingdom? How many of you are ready to turn your heart in my direction so that I can open up the blessings that I have for you and pour them into your life? If that's you and you say, God, tonight, I'm going to set my heart aright. I just, if you can, I want you to stand to your feet. Because that's going to be our prayer, for God to set our heart aright. Because listen, after hearing everything that we've heard over the last six weeks, if we don't set our heart aright, you can do all those other six things, but if our heart's not focused in the right direction, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a hill of beans. So tonight, this is the culminating thing. God, so that everything you have for me can be, can be released into my life, I'm setting my heart in the right direction. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you, Father God, for what you have spoken to us over the last several weeks. And it has been a word to prepare us for the rapture. It's been a word to prepare us, Father God, to be that bride that you long for us to be. That bride that you want to give to your son, Jesus Christ. A bride that is awake and ready. A bride that has been uh, working out spiritually to be in shape. Uh, to be able to present itself rightly to Christ. I, I, I thank you for the word that you've given us, Lord God, to, to clean up and to, to dress up and to listen up and, and tonight to look up, Father God. And I pray that we would do all of those things, that we would be ready, Father God, so that no matter when you come, whether it's while I'm preaching, while I'm praying on our way home, tomorrow, next week, next month, or next year, God, that we would be a people that's ready That we would have practiced these seven ups of Christianity so that we, no matter when you come, would be ready to take that ride, Father God, into the throne room of grace. I just pray that you would bless your people this evening, Father God, that you would help us to look up, that you would help us to set our heart aright, Father God, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, that we wouldn't allow the devil to come in and show us the glory of the world, that we would forget about the glory of the kingdom, that we would forget about, that we would forget about the things that you have in store for us, O oh God, because of the, the simple little things down here that are passing away. Help us to have our affections set toward you. 
And help us to not let anything get in the way. So, Father God, we offer ourselves to you this evening. We ask that you would create a right spirit within us. Keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, I pray, that we can walk in victory and in the bliss of heaven. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord tonight, church, as always?